the language of deceit notes and extracts of the script machines are made up of many parts each with their own unique function the trouble with most machines is that you only need one part to malfunction in order for the whole system to break. This is often as true for people as it is for objects that we surround ourselves with. We can be broken in our thoughts just as much as we are crippled by our bodies. In fact, most illness or sickness manifests first in the mind before it is ever visible in the body. We are not machines. We feel, we imagine, we create, we resist. The emotion creates the motion. And now, back to our story. General Smedley Butler has been described by many as one of the greatest generals in the history of the United States. He was remembered by soldiers as always putting their welfare first, gaining for this a great and lasting respect. He was the stereotypical Marine, accomplishing a given task no matter what. During his loyal 33 years in the military, Butler led invasions, quelled nationalist rebellions, and instituted regime changes, all to the benefit, not of the people, but of the U.S. business interests in Mexico, Haiti, Cuba, Nicaragua, the Dominican Republic, Honduras, and China. Wars were very profitable for many of the parties involved. However, he never lost sight of the greatest truth. Nobody wins a war. There are massive casualties, physical and mental, on both sides of the trenches. He understood that the suffering of man was not eased by the inflicting of pain upon others. Quite the opposite. Through his travels and his speeches and his writings, he became increasingly displeased with the excuses used to wage war and fan conflicts. Subsequently, 
he grew to become one of the most outspoken military servicemen who actively opposed the actions of the military that he once served in. These ideas were later condensed into a small book entitled War is a Racket, which he published when he retired from active duty. He was a man who was passionate about foundational American ideals. The biblical thoughts and considerations that the Founding Fathers reiterated in their vocal declaration. The concept that independence led to a far brighter future than dependence. The right to live as a free man or woman without hindrance. The right to own your own property. The right to liberty and the defense of it. The right to address grievances. The right to face your accuser on a level playing field. The right to a trial by a jury of your peers. The right to keep what you have earned. The right to address the imbalances and injustices of society. Butler sympathized with the veterans of wars who sacrificed for their country. The veterans knew this and respected him for his outspoken and sometimes unpopular opinions. These factors were key in why he was chosen to lead the overthrow of the United States. He seemed like the perfect candidate who knew how to follow orders and the importance of getting the job done. In the summer of 1932, he traveled to Washington to show support for the Bonus Army. And it was during this time that his potential was recognized by the men behind the scenes. The plot always requires the right charismatic leader in just the same way as modern brands have their ambassadors. According to Butler, his first contact with right-wing political radicals was in 1933, when he received a visit from World War I veteran Gerald Maguire and William McDoyle, a past Massachusetts state commander, but at that time he refused their offer to run for the office of National Commander of the American Legion Convention. Nevertheless, Maguire did not give up and visited Butler several times to persuade him to attend the convention anyway, and to deliver a speech about a new deal which included policy and a restoration of the gold standard. Everybody behind the scenes was impressed with Butler's professionalism and his ability to hold an audience. Maguire also revealed to Butler that he worked as a bond salesman 
for a prominent Wall Street broker named Grayson M.P. Murphy. And he also represented a group called the Committee for a Sound Dollar, whose primary goal was to convince President Roosevelt to reintroduce the gold standard. The whole complexity of the situation tempted Butler to investigate further. And after another visit from Maguire, he insisted on personally meeting the people behind the scenes. Butler was no fool. He wanted to see who was lurking in the shadows behind the curtain. In early September, as the American Legion Convention was about to begin in Chicago, one of Maguire's principal backers, Robert Sterling Clark, who was a former Marine and who once served General Butler, visited Butler at home. Clark was a millionaire who had inherited a fortune from his grandfather, who was one of the founders of the Singer Sewing Machine Company. He wanted Butler to galvanize the veterans at the convention into forming an organization to oppose President Roosevelt and his new program. Clark's motive was to save his millions of dollars from devaluation, and he was prepared to devote at least half of his considerable fortune to the cause. Now, remember that at this time, the scene in some parts of America looked very much like conditions in a devastated post-war Europe. Consider a bleak, run-down, dusty landscape, very much similar to what John Steinbeck described in his epic, The Grapes of Wrath. According to Maguire's strategy, Butler would become Secretary of General Affairs in a parallel, secret, deep state government within the existing governmental structure. He would become a Mussolini-like public figure with nobody to answer to, ultimately making the important decisions for the country, whereas the presidency would be reduced to a seasonal ceremonial job, simply the ritual selection of a representative with little power to pursue any purpose on behalf of the people. The conspirators were operating under the umbrella of the American Liberty League, a new high-profile organization which was founded in 1934 exactly as had been forecast by Maguire to Butler. Soon, it was clear that this well-funded organization had emerged by itself as a loud political voice and a formidable adversary to Franklin Roosevelt and his laws. Quickly, the organization became popular. Most of the corporate and wealthy Americans who joined it were once members of the Democratic Party who had supported Roosevelt. All the members were extremely charitable towards the organization. 
most especially the DuPont family, whose influence, it appears, reached everywhere. A climate for change had been manufactured. So, the stage was lit, the scene was set, the acts were written, the players knew their roles. All that was needed was a catalyst and swift execution of specific orders. From the perspective of the powerful, the plan could not possibly fail. But just as self-belief is a key factor in any successful enterprise, so self-confidence can cause you to miss the obvious. Their faith in their own ability to control their figurehead was a potential weakness. They were blinded, as we all are, by what we think we can see. Their belief that all men were corruptible was simply a reflection of themselves rather than a true picture of reality. They had overestimated the power of the collective and underestimated the nature of the human spirit. The fact being that one individual person can make a world of a difference. You see, seeking truth and seeking justice is the ultimate claim of a man who aims to fulfill his rightful destiny. Honesty is a powerful policy. To be true to yourself is to be true to the world. Lies separate you from the world and disconnect you from reality. Those who tell the truth are often admonished or vilified, but in time the once timid join them as they begin to understand that the arc of the universe bends towards a narrative of moral reality. Bravery, then, is simply the understanding of the real consequences of inaction. The language of deceit. Notes and extracts.